Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 152. John and Wendy talk to John Hyman. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you, John? Wendy, I'm well and excited once again to say that the Bowling Green State University Graduate Programs and Organization Development and Change are once again sponsoring us this week. Appreciate Bowling Green and Tom Daniels for doing that. If you haven't checked out that episode, please go back and check it out. Find out what they're doing in the organization development space. Some really cool stuff they've got going on. That was a fun episode, too. We're going to have a great conversation tonight. Really quickly, though, wanted to congratulate Misty Caudell. Misty won the copy of Angela Champ's The Squiggly Line Career for sharing that episode. So we want to congratulate Misty. She is uh, an HR student, so excited to be talking to her. She's getting her career started. Wendy, we have another book coming soon that uh, that's out. Uh, Lori Rudiman, who was with yeah. us for episode 150. If you don't have a copy of that book yet uh, and yeah. want to win one, go listen to episode 150. Find out how to do that. Yes, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, started reading it this weekend, so it's a lot. Of, it's a fun H. It's not really HR. It's more you know a fun career book, I guess. <laughs> well, and it's Lori. We and and she even said if when you go back and listen to that show. Not only do you get the book, but she claims she's going to throw some of her swag in there too. Yes. Yes. Well, you know how you can't beat that a a book and stuff. If you're listening to this about the time that it comes out, uh, go check out that episode and enter enter to win because we we love giving away books. Yes, we do. I'm surprised that our guest tonight has not written a book, but he's got an absolutely amazing (laughs) blog, and we're going to be talking. You know, it's always fun. We like to have at least an employment attorney on what, maybe once a quarter or so. <laughs> Seems like we've known John a long time and really excited that we're finally here. Let's make the introduction and we'll get started. Yes. So excited to welcome John Hyman to the show tonight. With tongue planted firmly in cheek, attorney John Hyman refers to himself as the master of workplace schadenfreude. John is a partner in the labor and employment group of Myers, Roman, Friedberg, and Lewis in Cleveland, Ohio. He serves as the lead of its coronavirus task force. John applies his more than two decades of experience to help employers proactively solve their workplace problems. John is the author of the award-winning Ohio Employer Law blog. John is also an in-demand resource for journalists, having appeared in the Wall Street Journal, MSNBC.com, Cleveland.com, and Crane's Cleveland Business, and having appeared on Fox Business News, NPR, and Huffington Post Live. Finally, when John is not working to save employers, he works as an unpaid manager and roadie for his kids' aspiring rock and roll careers, which is awesome. I love that part of what you share, for sure. Um, but John, we start every show the same way. What is in your glass tonight? It is a lovely IPA from Fatheads, a local brewery, which is also happens to be a client of mine, although not why necessarily I'm drinking it, but their beer is really, really good. <laughs> so it is the uh, their award-winning uh, Sunshine Daydream IPA. Oh, I like the name. I like the name. I'm and I'm a fan of beers that have fun names. So fun name, fun. Your listeners can't see it, but it is a it is a super fun can too. With their, with their, that is an awesome can with their with their little mascot on the can. So yeah, so Fantastic. and tasty. So highly highly recommended. I like the idea that you have clients that are that are producing beer. I, I, that sounds. Yeah. Is like there a better, is there a better kind of client to have than one that, that mass produces large quantities of alcohol, especially these days? I mean, perfect. I love it. Not too much. Maybe somebody that makes. <laughs> well, you're in Cleveland. Maybe somebody does pierogies or 
I don't know. There's probably something, <laughs> right, that, something, that to have with, something to have with your drink. <laughs> that works too. Well, John, we certainly know what you're up to now, but how in the world did you get your start in employment law and that focus? That's a good question. I mean, it's something I've probably always naturally gravitated to. I remember as a kid, um, both my parents were school teachers. I remember walking the picket lines with my parents when they were on strike uh, back, you know, back in the late seventies, early mid eighties, where teacher strikes seems to happen every, you know, two to three years when a contract would come up. And so I, I have vivid memories of walking picket lines with my parents when they were when they were out on strike. So it's always something that's interested me. And then I, of course. Now I've gravitated to the other side as representing management, not you know, not the employees and not labor. But it's always the classes that I that pulled me the most in law school. Um, it was really coming out of law school. It was kind of the only thing I could really see myself doing with my degree. Um, I think aside from sleeping. Uh, we probably we all probably spend the most part of our days uh, at our you know at our at our jobs, and so it's kind of what consumes us uh, the most in our lives. And so it, to me, it's the kind of interpersonal nature of kind of what makes people tick and what makes workplaces work for employers uh, has always been really interesting to me. So that's kind of how I get into what I'm doing. We all have that growing up with teacher parents <laughs> experience, which is always interesting um, on that side of things, John. You have uh, a fantastic series on your blog, the Worst Employer Award, which is very popular. Um, and uh, you were on our fav- our second favorite podcast of Hostile Work Environment talking about it. So tell us a little bit about what led to the creation of this award and who was the winner or loser for 2020? Yeah, loser for sure. Um, <laughs> so it's funny. So people always ask, you know, you're a management side lawyer, you, these worst employer posts, you're bashing employers. It really seems to lean more towards like the employee side of things. Why do you do this? And I think there's a lot that employers can learn from employers that do things very, very badly. When I started the series back in in 2017, I kind of got the idea from, I was I had a series of posts where I was constantly saying, this employer did this wrong and you should do this differently or you, they could have done this better or whatever. And I thought, well, let's just kind of throw these all in the hat at the end of the year and see who people think was the worst of the bunch. And so that's how it kind of got started. I mean, you're right. It is a pretty popular series of posts. So I've run with it over the past few years um, and it culminates in a nice, neat little survey poll at the end of the year. And I have a, you know, a nice little fake trophy to give out. And for 2020, I actually broke the voting, the nominees and the voting into two categories since COVID is kind of all consuming. And it has been since March. Um, I thought it was unfair to lump the COVID employers into the, uh, you know, in with all of the just regular old crappy employers. So, <laughs> so I broke it up into two different, two different categories for 2020. I had the COVID worst employer and the regular old worst employer for the regular old worst employer. Uh, it was a husband and wife who uh, were arrested for human trafficking. They, they had brought someone over from India and uh, ostensibly for a job. And the end, they ended up locking him in the storage closet. He slept uh, like he slept on a concrete floor, he drank out of a sink, he peed in a you know he peed in the mop bucket. They were the yeah they were the unceremonious losers for 2020 and the non and very in a runaway very deservingly so. In the COVID category, 
I thought for sure that Tyson Foods was going to win. Their managers had set up like a betting pool for which of their employees were going to get to come down sick with COVID. As it was running rampant through the workforce, they had out of their 3,000 employees in this pork processing facility in Iowa, they had over 1,000 actually get COVID. Five died from the virus. And the managers decided to set up a betting pool over which of their employees would be the ones getting sick. Like super callous, just awful. And I thought for sure they were going to win. They didn't. They came in second. Um, the winner was a company that fired uh, a mom who was uh, working from home because her one and four year olds kept interrupting her on her Zoom calls with her uh, with her boss. That was the winner. I think so. Loser. I think that's something. We, I think that's something we can all kind of. I think that's something we can all relate to these days. Um, I've been working from home. Uh, March 13 was my last day in the office. I've had oh, wow. uh, innumerable wow. Zoom calls. My kids are thankfully back in school. They've been back in school since August uh, in person five days a week. Thank God um, for everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's great for them. I mean, it's great for them. I mean, I think kids belong in school. It's where they learn best. So it's good for them that they're in school. But from March until August, they were home. We have two dogs. They were home. My wife and I are both working from home. So it was a full house for a while. And it's, I mean, in dogs bark and I'm surprised one hasn't barked yet since we've been recording tonight, but dogs bark and <laughs> you know, kids need stuff. And even though mine are 12 and 14 and are, are self-sufficient, they still need things and you know, happens. And so I think we all ha- should learn to be, and I think, I think that's what resonated with people and why that I think really struck a chord with folks because clients are understanding. I've never had a client in 10 months complain that there was a noise in the background. Like clients are understanding. I think for the most part, employers should be understanding, and those that aren't, I think, I think, I think that's why that particular story resonated with people. I've been fortunate. Um, yeah, two kids, two dogs, and only once, actually, this morning, <laughs> the dogs barked in the middle of uh, as I was trying to talk, and I had to excuse myself and go put the dog outside because I couldn't talk over the bark. <laughs> Early on in the pandemic, I was on a conference call, a Zoom call with, I think there was a half dozen CEOs of companies on the phone. And it was at that moment that my, I saw I have a one-year-old and an eight-year-old dog. And the one-year-old decided to try and take the eight-year-old's prize toy. And the eight-year-old, I mean, I mean, she went at him. She had him pinned to the ground, like ripping at his throat, growling. And she's not, an, I mean, they're sweethearts, not an aggressive dog. And I, I, like, I'm like, all right. I got to put y'all on hold because I think one of my dogs is about to murder the other one. And so I stepped away for a minute and I got back on and I'm like, I am so sorry. Like this never happens. And they were like, oh my God, we've all been stuck at home for months. That's like the most exciting thing we've had happen on a call in forever. Thank you so much. We need a little uh, levity in our lives. Yeah. A little, little dog fighting in the background. I've heard anybody, hey, I guess, not- except maybe the dogs. So. <laughs> John, we're only three weeks into the year, and I know you've already started posting potential losers slash winners. Do you think you're going to have the two separate categories again this year? I think so. I think, I mean, COVID's not really going anywhere. I think we're going to be living with COVID for most of 2021. So I imagine that we will continue to get more stories of bad COVID employers or employers did some bad things related to the virus to their employees. So I think so. I will tell you though that I so I posted two nominees so far for 2021, both non-COVID stories. The one I posted this week, which was the DC public school system, which denied maternity leave to a teacher after she had delivered a stillborn baby, I think is going to be really hard to beat at the end of the year. Uh, that is yeah. just, again, in terms of, A, it's just awful. 
and just be, I think those are the, in, in doing this now for the fifth year, those are the kind of stories that resonate with people. And I think when the voting comes at the end of the year, that one is going to be really, really hard to beat. And I, I would be surprised if that one doesn't win at the end of the year, just, just because of the level of just heartlessness that's exhibited and telling a woman after she delivers a, a dead child that she can't have her maternity leave or any, or any paid time off. Just, yeah, that, that one's going to be hard to beat. Beyond COVID, as you sit in your seat and as you talk, work with all your clients, what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for employers in 2021 from an employment law perspective? And then what would you suggest HR pros do to prepare? I think the biggest challenge is going to just be with the, the turnover we're, we're going to experience. Uh, I guess by the time this airs, we will have experienced um, in D.C. Uh, with Joe Biden coming in. We have we will have for the first time in a long time a Democratic president and then Democratic Congress and Democratic Senate. And so there is going to be some real employee friendly changes that are going to happen uh, on the federal level. And I think that um, employers are going to get whiplash trying to, you know, spin around, trying to keep up with all the new laws that are going to come in. So uh, we've already seen Biden unveil his kind of covid legislative plan for his first 100 days and we see you know talk of a $15 minimum wage and talk of at least a temporary covid OSHA standard for workplace safety surrounding the pandemic which there isn't one currently and then talk of expansion of paid family leave um i think we'll see a more aggressive push for paid family leave in president biden's term which is something that we sorely need uh, in this country anyway, since we're, I think, the only industrialized country in the world that doesn't offer paid leave to employees. Uh, when countries like Iran and Afghanistan do something better for their employees than we are, we're doing something really, really, really wrong. Uh, but I think that's going to get fixed. You know, things like civil rights legislation, um, I think doing some things to codify some uh, already existing rights for the LGBTQ community, I think some equal pay stuff, labor relations. There's going to be a lot and it's going to be uh, imperative for HR to keep up with it all because it's, I think it's all going to come at employers pretty quickly. I think not knowing what the midterm elections will bring in 2022, I think there's going to be a push to get a lot of stuff done, assuming there's time to get it done with COVID really kind of being all-consuming. But assuming there's time to get it done, there's, there's going to be a big push in the next two years to get as much of this stuff out there and passed as possible. In terms of what to do to keep abreast of all this stuff, um, I appreciate the plug for my blog in the at, at the in, at the lead. Um, but I mean, I write I write about this stuff five days a week. There is a robust community of employment law and HR bloggers out there that write about uh, you know that write about these things um, daily, weekly, what have you. Um, and so I would just encourage people. We used to have, you know, these like law firm newsletters that we get pushed out like every month or every two months that would give businesses like the updates of this is what has happened in the last two months. Now these updates come at you daily through, you know, RSS feeds and Twitter and LinkedIn. And I would assume if people listen to a podcast, they're probably also reading blogs um, and are reading tweets and are on LinkedIn and other places. But that's really where the best information is to stay abreast of this stuff. I think that's key is just keeping on top of it. Because like you said, I think, I think you're right. I think it's going to come fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be real busy for the next, you know, yes, for the next are. 24 months, which is, which is awesome. I got, you know, school tuition to pay and, you know. 
mortgages and you know other things and so we like we like taking vacations when we when we can travel again and so we like being busy we don't mind uh well one of our new features is we are um, asking guests of the show to help us ask questions of our upcoming guests and the fun part is they don't know who's coming next um and you actually get a question from kirsten greggs her question is, how involved do you think HR practitioners should be in political conversations at work? I don't think there should be political conversations at work in the first place. So I think the role, I think HR's role should be not necessarily in fostering the dialogue or participating in the conversations, but in, I think, interceding when the conversations are taking place. And, and to set boundaries as to what is appropriate and not appropriate to talk about in the workplace. Um, I think if, you know, the last 10 days has showed us anything, it's that we are a country that is severely, severely divided. Um, and I don't think we're getting put back together anytime soon. I mean, to me, the choice in the, in the election was very, very clear, but 75 million people disagreed with the choice I made. Out of those 75 million people, you're going to have some of them that are going to, that are going to work for you. Um, and even if you take – we can look at like a pre-January 6th world and a post-January 6th world, but even post-January 6th, um, there is still a large percentage of those 75 million people that still support Donald Trump and his presidency and his policies and what he stands for. You know, Even if that support has dwindled some after the events of January 6th, even if 30% of the country still supports that or 40% of the country, you're going to have three to four out of 10 of your employees are going to think differently than the other six or seven or 10 out of your employees. Given how divided we are right now, I think allowing those conversations to take place and, and, and kind of fester in the workplace, I think is a dangerous spark that we don't necessarily want to have ignited given how combustible our society is right now. How do you suggest HR professionals handle it then when, when those come up? Um, what's, what's a good way to deescalate? Cause you know, they're going to come back with first amendment, even though we all yeah, know which is, which, which, is. <laughs> which as I've learned over the past 10 days on Twitter and LinkedIn, um, most Americans don't understand. I thought it was, yeah. I always thought it was about half didn't understand the First Amendment. I think it's probably closer to 70 or 70 or 80 percent. Just yeah. don't uh, need a real strong like civics refresher on what the First Amendment stands for and what it means. I, I would even take the First Amendment out of it after you can explain that, you know, you can explain what that means and why it doesn't apply. But I think you just want to let employees know kind of what it means to have a respectful workplace and maybe you know if if you have these kind of conversations going on in your workplace maybe it's a good time to take a step back and do something like a, a respectful workplace training module for your employees to reorient them on what is and is not appropriate conduct and conversation in the workplace but just to let people know that look this is you know we're here to work we obviously we're not going to be working you know, we're not driving you eight hours a day, five days a week, and people talk, and we're not trying to stifle conversation or people talking, and this is going on in the news, and we get that, but you know, we got to keep it respectful, and so it's best to make sure we keep it respectful, and so conversations about the world in general, the country in general, don't go from civil discourse to civil disobedience to people throwing fists or screaming or God knows what. Um, it's best to keep those conversations out and just kind of focus not on the politics, but focus on 
the need for civility and being in everyone's best interest in the workplace in general. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Bowling Green State University is proud to sponsor the HR Social Hour Half Hour podcast. If 2020 taught us anything, it's the importance of being agile and open to change. Bowling Green State University is a world leader in providing graduate education to working professionals in organization development and change. In 2019, BGSU launched one of the only professional doctorate programs in the country in organization development and change. Both the master's and doctorate programs are designed for working professionals and blend the convenience of virtual learning with regularly scheduled in-person weekends a few times a year. The BGSU graduate programs in organization development and change provide students with practical skills and help them grow from a subject matter expert to a sought-after thought leader. To learn more about the master's and doctorate programs in organization development and change at Bowling Green State University, visit bgsu.edu mod. And we are back. John, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, the half-hour question connection. What career did you dream of having when you were a child? Oh, this probably sounds so boring, but it was probably a lawyer. Because I, <laughs> I know. I mean, when I, was, when I was like a little kid, I think like most, like most kids, it was probably – I mean, it was probably like an astronaut or something like that as I would play with my space Legos and – Probably from the time I could really think about what I wanted to do with my life, it was probably being a lawyer. My folks would tell you I was – I always liked to argue and always needed to have the last word kind of in everything. And now I look at my kids and think they'll probably both be lawyers too. So it sounds so boring to say I kind of always wanted to be a lawyer, but it was probably always a lawyer. John, who's one person you've gained in your network in the last year that you think more people should know? Oh God, I hate this question because I'm inevitably going to piss off like three dozen people. I don't, I don't mention, but they're not listening anyway, right? So lately, I've gotten a lot of value from an attorney out in California by the name of Allison Decker. I don't know if you know her, but she's been, she and I have been interacting a lot on the LinkedIn and on the Twitter. I find that I'm getting a lot of because I've I've been posting a lot lately against, uh, maybe not against my better judgment, but. I just feel that what's going on in the country is too important to ignore. So I've been writing a lot, particularly on Twitter, but some on LinkedIn too and on my blog about just politics and what's been going on. And so I, I have found that I've gotten some nice connections from people with kind of like-minded political philosophies, I guess, for lack of a better description. And so she and I have been uh, kind of back and forthing a lot lately and have gotten – and I've, I've picked up a lot of value from her. John, how do you maintain balance? I – decided a long time ago that I was going to stop chasing dollars and made the decision to trade dollars for time. In my world, right, everything is the billable hour. Um, everything, your, your value can be defined by um, how many hours a day, a week, a month uh, you work, you bill. And uh, I made the decision um, a number of years ago to go to the firm I'm currently with, uh, I lateraled from one to another, uh, largely as a lifestyle choice. And I have not regretted the decision for a second. It gives me flexibility. It gives me time. I don't want to give the impression that we don't, that we don't work hard or we're not diligent because we, because we do and we are. It was a decision I made that I didn't, it's, it's important to me that I have dinner with my kids every night. It's important to me that I 
uh, you know, when they have events at school, then I'm able to do those things. It's important to me that I see them on the weekends uh, when we're all home. There are things that I know people that in my career, like partners in law firms, don't always have that luxury because of the pressures of the job. Like I said before, I don't. I, I really don't want my tombstone to say John Hyman, great lawyer. I want it to say John Hyman, great dad, and I mean that. And so I want to make sure that like we're around the dinner table every night, and we do the four of us. We have a family dinner every night. It's really important to kind of sit down, talk about our day, decompress. Those are choices I made, and I realized that I have traded dollars to have that, but it's a trade I don't regret for a second. John, how do you enjoy giving back to the HR community? Doing things like this, the, the blog. I mean, I, it's coming on year – oh, I got to think now. So I started it in 2007, so it's coming up on year 14. Is that possible? Five days a week, like Monday through Friday, thousands and thousands of posts there. It's like the, the absolute it's – like it's like the encyclopedia of employment law at this point. It has to be. <laughs> Like I do a ton of webinars and I used to like to go out and speak in person. We don't do those things anymore. Now they're all like, now they're all by zoom. Uh, but I've been doing a ton of those as I've always done a ton of those this year. They've all been like COVID focused. Um, but I do a ton of speaking as well. Typically don't, I mean, I don't charge for that stuff. I just go and do it because it's, it is, it is a give back to the community. Um, and I think it's, I mean, you said before, like how to eight, how should HR folks keep up to date on what's going on. And if people like me aren't out there making these resources available, they won't be able to. And then businesses suffer, employees suffer. And so that's my, I mean, that's my give back to the community. John, what's your favorite movie? The Sure Thing. Do you know The Sure Thing? It's the John Cusack movie? John Cusack. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was, it was the movie Rob Reiner made. He, it was, he made it right after he directed Spinal Tap. And then right before uh, Stand By Me, it is uh, – so John Cusack, right after 16 Candles. I totally forgot he was in 16 Candles. We're doing this thing with my kids now where we're running through <laughs> we're running through 80s movies. And so, A, I forgot he was in 16 Candles, as was Joan, um, his sister, uh, most famously, right, Woody, the cowgirl from the Toy Story movies. So I forgot she was in it as well. But what I also forgot, and it might be because I've only ever seen 16 Candles – on basic cable, maybe aside from when we, aside from when we rented it um, on Amazon on Saturday night, was that there are boobs in the movie, <laughs> and I had totally and I either never knew that because I had only ever watched it on like TBS or I had just forgotten it. But uh, my twelve year old noticed for sure. <laughs> when, uh, Rob Reiner directed John Cusack, um, Daphne Zuniga. Uh, right before she made Spaceballs, and then she later went on. Right, Melrose was fam- most famous for being on Melrose Place, um, and then Anthony Edwards. In between, it was his movie. In between, Revenge of the Nerds, and then Top Gun, and it's a, a f- fantastic, like coming of age, uh, kind of road trip, kind of rom com. Really, really funny, and it's definitely a, a, a kind of a. It should, it should get a lot. It should have a lot more recognition than it does because it's a really sweet, really funny movie, and it's got a lot of really famous people in it. So it should be well known, and for some reason, it's not. But highly recommended for everybody if people haven't seen it. What was the first concert you attended? Uh, the Who, Vet Stadium in Philadelphia, July of '89. The Who was my, like the Who was like my gateway drug into music. They were, that was the, the who was like my jam in high school. Um, and so when they got back together for the 20th anniversary of Tommy, back when we had to wait on, you know, wait in line to get concert tickets, we all went down to the tower records, waited in line. 
we did a, it was like the summer in between my junior and senior year in high school. We did The Who, we saw Paul McCartney, we saw David Bowie, we saw Tom Petty. I mean, it was Eric Clapton. Like it was a run of people that wow. I am so glad I was able to see when I, now McCartney still tours, um, but obviously Eric Clapton hasn't toured in forever. Tom Petty and David Bowie, unfortunately, are gone. The Who still tours, but it's like half the Who. It's like just like the W and like the top half of the H at this point. <laughs> and even when I saw him, like I would have, right, like there was, it was still, there was no Keith Moon then. But yeah, it was, they played three and a half hours, no breaks, wow. no nothing. It was just ridiculous. And I've been hooked on, I've been hooked on live music ever since. And I miss it. I miss going to concerts so, so much. My 14 year old is my concert buddy. And uh, we haven't been able to go see a show in over a year. And I, I miss it so much not being able to, you know, be pressed up against the rail, you know, with your ears, <laughs> with your ears pounding from the music being so loud and, you know, getting beer spilled on you. And I just, I just miss it a ton. What was the last show you binge watched? Probably The Mandalorian, although I'm not sure if that qualifies as a binge because they kind of released them week you know disney plus is doing this thing where they release yeah. them a week at a time instead of releasing them all at once but that was by 12 year old and, and me that was our that was our friday night ritual would be sitting down to watch the new the, the new episode drop of the mandalorian and my wife and i are both we're both in the middle of binging both Shit's creek and ted lasso which are both just i I've, i'm finding it hard to watch serious stuff these days i think there's so much serious stuff going on in the world People have recommended Ozark and I try it and it's just too it's just too grim right now. I need like light and airy stuff. I don't want to watch serious, grim, depressing, violent stuff. You get enough of that. I can I can put on CNN for that. I want to watch, you know, I want to I want to I wanna laugh. So yeah, so Shits Creek and Ted Lasso is what we're what we're in the is what we're in the middle of right now. What's a thing, a hobby or a thing, something you like to do that may surprise people? My COVID hobby has been picking up woodworking. A year ago, I would have told you I was the least handy person on the planet. <laughs> and if I was, if I would have told you I was going to take pieces of wood and build something out of it, I, I would have thought I would have told you with like eight fingers. Like I would have thought for sure I would have. <laughs> there'd be like screws sticking out of the palm of my hand and like missing two fingers and whatever. But no. But we, um, so far, we built a doghouse, which turned out. Pretty good for a first for a first effort. We went from the doghouse to we built deck chairs. We built the original deck that's on our house. My wife and I built that thirteen years ago, and it almost divorced us. We didn't talk for <laughs> we didn't talk for like two months after we were done, and we said after that we were swearing off doing big projects together. And we said we and we waited about thirteen years. Then we did the doghouse, which worked well. Then we moved on to chairs, which was our anniversary gift to each other. We built deck. We just had our deck added on to, not by us, but we actually hired someone to do it this time. For furniture for the deck, we built uh, a pair of chairs. All right. Well, finally, John, if you could ask the next guest of the podcast any question, what would you ask them? I thought long and hard about this. I think the question that I would want to know from your next guest is I'd want to know how they're surviving the revolution. I have, as I said before, our country, I think, is at a dangerous place. I, I think what we saw 
on the 6th is probably the beginning of something and not the end of something. And if I'm putting on my Karnak hat, I mean, I think it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And so uh, they can interpret the question any way they want, but I'd, I'd want to know how they're, how they're surviving the revolution. John, it's a, a very interesting question. As Wendy said last week, we're glad we don't have to answer it. Yes. <laughs> you never know. That's how we answer it, I guess. It has been just tremendous to be able to get to spend this time together with you. Again, always appreciate yeah. your insights. For those that are listening that don't know you, which I can't imagine is the case, but if they don't, what's the best way for them to reach you out there? Best way is probably through the blog itself. So if you go to ohioemployerlawblog.com or coronaviruslaw.blog, they both go to the same place. Um, that has all of my – kind of all the social links. So um, you'll find my – my Twitter, which is at John Hyman, J-O-N-H-Y-M-A-N. You'll find my LinkedIn, uh, Jonathan Hyman, because someone stole John Hyman from me on LinkedIn before I could get onto <laughs> LinkedIn to take it. I think it's a doctor in New Jersey, I think, is John Hyman on LinkedIn. I have a Facebook page. The blog is a Facebook page as well. Um, Instagram, which is like mostly pictures of my dogs and my kids, but I think it's but I, but I think even from a business perspective, I think it's important to put like a like a real face on like on the on the person. So that's there too. Uh, but it's all linked there. But the best way to find it all is through the blog itself, OhioEmployerLawBlog.com. We'll have that in the show notes. And then Wendy, how about you? Best way for the listeners to reach you out there. Uh, best way is on my blog, MyDailyJourney.com. Daily D is in dog A I L E Y, and of course. The second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter at 7 p.m. Eastern time as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? Once again, I want to thank Bowling Green State University Graduate Programs and Organization Development and Change for sponsoring the episode. And as for me, johntherman.com for all things John Thurman. And for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Listen and share. That's all we ask. International listeners, you know what we're going to ask. We want to talk. We want to get you get you into this conversation just like we did with John tonight. And if we haven't reached out to you, please reach out to us. John, thanks again for joining us. And so for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. <laughs>